Is it unbiblical to drink Christ's blood? Carla Broussard, next. Hello and welcome to Focus, the Catholic Answers podcast for living, understanding, and defending your Catholic faith. I'm Cy Kelly, your host, and among the things that it's hard to defend, actually, is the drinking of Christ's blood. For obvious reasons, it's hard to defend. I mean, you have to have, there's so many layers of faith that go into accepting that what you're doing at Mass is eating the body and drinking the blood of Christ. And then you have to accept that you should be eating the body and drinking the blood of Christ. And you've got to, in, in addition to all of that, be clear that it's not just symbolic what we're talking about. This is, we're not just talking about symbolism. We're talking about real body and real blood of Christ. Well, here's a problem that many of our Protestant brothers and sisters raise. Why are you drinking blood? Jesus wouldn't want you to drink real blood because the Old Testament forbids the drinking of blood. That's a very serious objection. It's a biblical objection. And as Carlo has, Carlo Broussard, who's our guest today, has made plain many, many times, when a Protestant makes a biblical objection to Catholic faith, the Catholic is required to respond to that because we do believe the Bible is the word of God. So this is not a left field objection. This is an objection we have to be able to answer. So what do we make of the objection that, hey, the Old Testament forbids the drinking of blood. Over here, you Catholics are saying you're drinking real blood, not symbolic, but real blood. How are you uh, able to, how, to hold both of these uh, realities? How can you Catholics hold both of these realities? Well, if you want to explore those kinds of things, you bring in Carlo Roussard, and, and here's Carlo to explain what the Catholic Church teaches, and why it justifies that teaching in the light of what is in the Old Testament. All right. Uh, thanks again for being with us, Carlo. Well, thanks for having me, Sal. I have to admit to being a somewhat squeamish person. Oh, uh, yeah? Yeah. I'm the son of a surgeon, but I could never have been a surgeon myself. So we're going to talk about blood. <laughs> it's funny you say that, brother, because we were on the we were two peas in a pod really? because I faint uh, at the sight of yeah. blood. I just don't want to hear about it. I don't want to just okay, fine. Yeah. I know there is blood, but leave yeah. me alone. About Quick it. story: back in Louisiana, when I was doing buffing, yeah. buffing stores and stuff, yeah. like not buffing up my muscles, but buffing. What you do now? <laughs> <laughs> I was loading up the buffer into the van, and I nicked my knuckle, yeah. right? And so I went to rinse it off in the sink, and I was like, man, this thing's this kind of burning. Next thing I knew, I woke up on the ground. I fell face flat oh, on the no. cement in the store, busted up my nose. Because of your blood. Yeah. We had to call in the ambulance. The ambulance took me to the hospital. There were, all they found was that it was just, a, I had a sinus infection and that I'm weak with blood. But what was interesting, I'm sorry, I got to share this story. Yeah. Bef a year before that is when The Passion of the Christ had first came out. Oh, yeah. Okay, so I went watch The Passion of the Christ first time. It was pretty intense. Went, wa went watch it a second time with my wife, and I passed out in the theater. Yeah, because it's horrible. And I, and I came out of it saying, Jesus, Jesus, <laughs> right? So I thought it was like some mystical experience, <laughs> right? Well, like a year later, I nicked my knuckle and I pass out at the side. Of, and so I'm like, oh, man, it wasn't a mystical <laughs> experience. <laughs> and even to this day, man, when I watch, when I get sight of blood or the kids get a bloody nose, I start getting queasy. And my, I dropped to my knees one time when my son had a bloody nose. So 
Yeah, we, we're two well, peas in a pod, brother. Okay, so we're just going to have to... If you start feeling faint, just tell us. We'll, we'll pause the tape and then we'll come back. But it was all about blood this time. Yes, it Here's is. the challenge, basically. Right. Uh, the challenge is, how can the Catholic Church teach... And this is uh, a common way that you phrase challenges. How can the Catholic Church teach this when the Bible says this? Yeah, and, and this it's, 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 it's just book. a form of the challenge for my book, Meeting the Protestant Challenge. And right. here's, here's one way in which it takes form. So how can the Catholic Church teach that we actually eat and drink the body and blood of Jesus when the scripture forbids partaking of blood in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 10, the Bible reads, if any man of the house of Israel or of the strangers that sojourn among them eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. Pretty strong challenge, right? I mean, on the face of it, here we are as Catholics saying we're drinking the blood of Jesus in the chalice at Holy Mass, but the Bible clearly says that God's going to put his face against those who drink blood and cut them off from among his people. (laughs) So are we in that category? (laughs) It would seem, right? Right, yeah. So how do we meet this challenge? Well, I think the first thing we need to do, Cy, in response is to think about whether this prohibition of drinking blood is a part of the natural moral law or not. Because if it is a part of the natural moral law, like this is this prohibition is something that's flowing from our nature as human beings, yeah. this is something that's going to be universally binding for all peoples at all times, not like, subject to change. Like eating people. That would be opposed to the natural moral law, Yes. Uh, that's an interesting question to I consider <laughs> that we'd have to consider in moral philosophy. Let's put that one off for the side. Okay, Let's right. just use this example, committing yeah. adultery, right? Oh, committing yes, fornication, right, right. Yeah. using contraception, right? And contracepting, yeah. uh, same-sex sexual activity, uh, mur- killing the innocent, yeah. okay? Right. Stealing. These are acts that in and of themselves are intrinsically evil because they violate the good of our human nature. Oh, when you said eating people, were you assuming alive, like people alive or dead? Yeah, like... (laughs) Yes, I will. I, now I'm getting into the gross stuff, and I'm going to make you faint. That's so right. Let's just go with let's go with adultery. I think we All can, right. we can both okay. stay awake for adultery. All right. So, so getting back to the prohibition of drinking animal blood here, which is being prohibited here, and drinking blood in general, um, I I don't see how we can say this is a part of the natural moral law from reason. There's nothing in the act of partaking of the blood of an animal that you have slain and that in some right. way violating the good of our human nature. Right, right. right. Okay, that's not contrary to the dignity of the animal or me or anything. That's right. There's that's nothing right. intrinsic to that that's Correct. Wrong. So there, there, there's no evidence from reason that such an activity would be intrinsically evil yeah. and thus binding for all human beings at all times, all right? But for our Christian, I think we can make an argument from Jesus himself that this prohibition of partaking of animal blood is not a part of the natural moral law. Because consider Jesus' command to drink his blood in John chapter 6, when he says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life within you. The implication is that there is a positive command there, drink my blood. Whether you take that symbolically or literally, either position you take, you still see that Jesus is commanding us to do, Jesus is issuing a command to drink his blood. Even on a symbolic view, if 
drinking blood were absolutely immoral and contrary to the natural moral law, yeah. well, then surely Jesus would not be commanding us to do something immoral, even right. to symbolically enact such an immoral activity, right? Mm-hmm. So you might consider the argument like this. If the prohibition were a part of the natural law, then Jesus would not command us to drink his blood. Right. Even on the symbolic view. No, he would not do that. But Jesus does command us to drink his blood. Therefore, the prohibition must not have been a part of the natural law, right? Okay. And that's an argument that we can make as Christians. Now, keep in mind, this discussion and this challenge that's offered to us is from our fellow Christian brothers and sisters, our non-Catholic Christian brothers and sisters. And so it's legitimate for us as a Catholic in response to offer an argument from Jesus himself to try and show that this prohibition does not belong to the natural moral law. Now, why would I want to make that argument? I want to make that argument because if it's not a part of the natural moral law, then it's a part of the positive, it's a, it's a positive divine law that's subject to change, right? Yes. So, for example, the positive divine law to worship God on this particular day, namely the seventh day of the Jewish week, well, that's a ceremonial precept that's subject to change. It could be on Sunday. God could have chose Monday. God should have, could have chose Tuesday, right? Right. There's nothing inherent in human nature that, that demands that we must worship God on the seventh day of the Jewish week, right, on, on, on the Saturday. Uh, another ceremonial precept where God's going to say, don't eat this particular animal. You can eat yeah. that particular animal. These are positive divine laws that are subject to change on condition that God changes them, right? Only God can make these laws and change these laws, okay? So the point is, is that if this prohibition of partaking of the animal blood is or partaking of blood, even in general, is not a part of the natural moral law, then it's a positive divine law that is subject to change. So here's the question. The question now becomes, did such a law change with the advent of Christ? Did Jesus change that positive divine law? Yeah. Because if <laughs> there's fact, if there's did. no if if Jesus did not change it, right. well then that law would still be binding on us. Yeah, so as right, Christians. Right. So is there any evidence in the New Testament that this law of the prohibition of partaking of blood is no longer binding on us as Christians? I can think of two myself. Go ahead. What you got? Well, I mean, the most obvious one is always that one that happens in the Acts of the Apostles with Peter. Right. I mean, that's the one that we Christians always refer to. I know that it, he all. there's also the part in Mark where he says what what enters a man's body is not what makes him That's unclean. That's right. It's what comes out of him that makes him unclean. And then Mark even says, I think... Je- by saying, by this, saying this, Jesus, Jesus made all foods clean. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's correct. So Jesus says in Mark seven fifteen, there's nothing outside of man which by going into him can defile him. So it's not the blood going in that's going to devour him, but the things which come out of a man are what defile him. Yeah. Okay? Now, Mark tells us in verse 19, when Jesus said this, he declared all foods clean. That would include blood. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> you know, all, the, the, all means all. All means all, right. So Jesus himself is revealing that that prohibition is no longer binding on us as Christians. And then you mentioned also the the, the situation with Peter. The it's just vision. so explicit in, with Peter. I mean, 
Yeah, well, kill and eat. Yeah, Jesus in Acts 10, 9 through 16, this is where we read the vision that Peter has of the sheet with all of the animals that he would have been prohibited from eating as a Jew, right? And we read all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And then Jesus says in the vision, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. So Jesus is commanding Peter, take and eat, take and eat, take and eat. And Jesus says, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. And so the command to the the pro the prohibition of partaking of blood that was one of those precepts involved with the various prohibitions of partaking of various kinds of foods right so if the foods are being declared clean well then it follows that the the blood of those foods would be declared clean as well and would not defile one if one were to partake of the blood of these animals that one is eating Right. And so we see from Jesus that the prohibition is no longer binding for Christians. Now, this brings up a question, well, what about Paul? Did Paul have anything to say about this? And the answer is yes. So there's okay. a few passages that we could turn to, to see how Paul, or to show that Paul actually interprets Jesus the way we're interpreting him. Paul confirms for us our interpretation of Jesus here. So, for example, in Colossians 2, 16 through 17, Paul writes, Having canceled the bond which stood against us with its legal demands, this, referring to Jesus, set aside, nailing it to the cross. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink oh, yeah. or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Notice how Paul includes the precepts governing the partaking of food and drink with other types of precepts, like the precept concerning which day of the week you're going to worship God, namely the Sabbath. Yeah, these are not natu uh, natural law. These are not part. These are all part of the Jewish religious practice, ceremonial. That, that laws. is correct. And Paul is saying these are no longer binding on us. Yeah. Let no one pass judgment on you concerning these things. And he goes on. These are only a shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So the laws governing the partaking of food and drink in the Old Testament are no longer, those ceremonial precepts are no longer binding on us as Christians. And then 1 Corinthians 8, 8 is another example. Paul writes, food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. So whether we're partaking of the food and the drink or not partaking of the food and the drink, it makes us no difference as Christians. We have liberty with regard to such things. So we have evidence from Jesus and we have evidence from Paul that indicate this prohibition of partaking of blood in Leviticus 17.10 is no longer binding on us as Christians. And so you could construct an argument like this. If the dietary laws of the old law are no longer binding for Christians, and the prohibition of consuming blood was a part of those dietary laws, then it follows that the prohibition of consuming blood is no longer binding for us as Christians. So, uh, so Jesus then uh, commands us to um, eat his body and drink his blood. There's not a contradiction. We don't have to uh, say, well, that's just symbolic, because if it wasn't symbolic, because that's usually the way the argument is made. Well, that's just symbolic, and I know you argued against the, even that. Right. But but the, but it, he, we can drink his blood. In other words, because that's he commanded right. it, and it doesn't contradict the natural law, and it, and we're we're not bound by the ceremonial law. So. 
why does he command us to drink his blood? Yeah, what's the <laughs> rationale behind that? Yeah, right? let's let's take this one step further. Well, you know, <laughs> the Catholic biblical, the Catholic Bible scholar Brant Petrie makes a good argument in his book Jesus and the Jewish Roots of the Eucharist, where this passage of Leviticus 17, rather than being a challenge to the Catholic position, actually provides a rationale as to why Jesus would command us to drink his blood, because in I think it's verse 18 of Leviticus 17. Or within the surrounding preceding and subsequent verses there, I'd have to check to be specific. But it does talk about the reason why they were abstaining from the blood of the animals offered in, in sacrifice and just animals in general, because they believe the life of the animal was in the blood. Life is in the blood. That was their ah. Jewish mentality. And so now we come to Jesus and Jesus tells us that if we want his life, if we want eternal life, we need to drink his blood. And that makes sense against this Jewish, you know, sort of background of how they viewed the life of the animal in the blood. You want the life of the thing whose blood you're partaking of? Um, you want the life of the thing? <laughs> you partake of its blood. And here, Jesus, against that backdrop, Mm-hmm. is commanding us, his disciples, to drink his blood. Why? So that we can have his life. Why? Because life is in the blood. So rather than Leviticus 17, 10, and its context posing a threat to the Catholic belief in the Eucharist, it actually supports it. It provides a rationale as to why Jesus would give us his blood. And that he commands us to give us his blood. So we've already said it's not a part of the natural law, right? And then we're asking the question, is uh, this still binding on us? Well, if Jesus is commanding us to drink his blood, that is a New Testament positive command that supersedes the old, which is very similar to what Jesus does in his ministry. You have heard it said, but but I I say to you. And so here we have a positive command that supersedes that of the old, yet more evidence that this prohibition is no longer binding on us as Christians. I just realized something. We now we've we, in our last two conversations we did baptism and we did the Eucharist. So now we're going to need to get you to do an apologetic of confirmation and anointing of the sick. We, yeah, we, we we'll, need, we'll, we'll have to. I don't know. We'll are there to, objections to those as sacrifice? I suppose there probably are. Objections there are. Yep. There, there are uh, different kinds of objections posed to what we might appeal to as Catholics for biblical support. Indeed. Yeah. So yeah. we'll have to tackle those. Well, uh, thank you very much for uh, uh, confirming us in our faith in uh, the sacraments of baptism and the Eucharist. In Well, thank you, Cy. It was a joy being with you, my friend. Happy New Year, too. Same to you. I like it when Carlo does that little intellectual jujitsu, where the biblical objection about drinking the blood of animals actually reinforces, it doesn't undermine what Catholics teach about drinking the blood of Christ. If you understand that the prohibition is rooted in the belief that life is in the blood and that Christ wants to communicate his life to us. Not only does he want to, he does. Every time the Eucharist is confected, he shares his body and blood with us. He shares his very life with us. And if you're not partaking of that, well, it may be because of the COVID, but if it's because uh, you have some other objection to the Eucharist, I highly, highly, highly recommend overcome somehow overcome your objections. Come to the Eucharist. Christ wants to meet you there. He wants to meet each and every one of us there. It's the greatest gift, the gift uh, that Christ gives uh, us each time in the Eucharist, the gift of himself, human and divine. Hey, um, we'd love to hear from you. You can send us an email, 
focus at catholic.com. We'd also like you to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so that you'll be notified when new episodes come out. And if you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe. Finally, give us money. We need money to keep doing this podcast. Um, and if you've got some and you'd like to share it, go to givecatholic.com. I'm Cy Kellett. We'll see you next time, God willing, right here on Catholic Answers Focus.